My name is Chase Durham. Um, I grew up in Flower Mound, Texas, just about 30 minutes away from here. I was born in Fairfax, Virginia, but got to Texas. We got a Virginia guy? All right. I got to Texas as quick as I could, though. I was nine months old when my family moved me down here. So it's unfortunate because I can't say I'm 100% Texan, but I'm like 99.5% Texan. Uh, so I've grown up in Texas, and from a very young age, I, I'm an only child. Um, from a very young age, I had a passion for baseball. My dad played baseball in high school and college and was drafted uh, by the Texas Rangers. And so I, I think he just kept putting the baseballs in my crib. And so I just grew up feeling the leather of a baseball. And so literally as soon as I could walk, I, my mom said I was about one and a half years old. That was when I started taking batting practice. I had a little tee and I was hitting balls in the living room. And she said that was all I ever wanted to do. And it's funny because now my son is one and a half and he has a tee and he just, he, he throws right and hits left. I'm not complaining. I love it. So I grew up playing baseball, and um, it, as I got older, I'm sure if you guys have had kids in sports, it begins to grow, uh, the responsibility, the time requests. Um, it just, it's a demanding thing, not just baseball, but all sports. You're doing uh, personal training. You're getting lessons. You're doing practice. You have tournaments. You have games. And so baseball very much began to swallow up mine and my parents' lives. And from a very young age, we never uh, really went to church as a family. We are the, the Christers, the Christmas and Easter uh, family. And, but the crazy thing with that was my parents taught me who God was. They taught me how to pray. They told me who Jesus is and what he did. But I was spiritually dead, like the scriptures talk about, and I just didn't really understand those things. I knew they were like kind of good moral beliefs to have, but I didn't really understand the impact of the gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so that was, Christianity was always something I had kind of like in my, in my back pocket. It wasn't transformative, but it was something I knew. And so I grew up and uh, baseball, like I said, is taking up more and more of our time. And um, we're playing tournaments at this point, playing select baseball. So we're traveling all over the place. And we're playing a tournament on Sunday morning. And one of my teammates, he was our starting pitcher. He wasn't at the game, the morning game. And so we're driving home from the tournament. And I, I just asked my parents. I'm sitting in the back of our red Dodge Durango. Why I remember that, I have no idea. And I just tell them, or I ask them, I say, hey, why wasn't Jeff um, at the game this morning? They said, well, he was at church. And I said, well, we're Christians. Why don't we go to church? <laughs> and <laughs> because I, I thought I was, thought we were Christians and and. Anyways, and so they said, well, if, if you're a good person and, like, you say your prayers, then, then you'll go to heaven. And so that statement I built my entire theology off of. I, I took that and I said, I'm going to be a good person. Like, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Like, hell sounds awful. And so I built my entire theology around that statement of, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. And so that was um, like nine or 12 years old. And uh, so I continued just to grow up, continued to progress in baseball. Um, and then I get to high school. 
And in high school, um, I'm still walking a very straight and narrow line, uh, mainly for two reasons. One, I want to go to heaven. I want to be a good kid that gets allowed into heaven. But then two, if I made a bad grade or if I got in trouble, I wasn't allowed to play baseball. And baseball was like my God. Baseball was my idol. And so the thought of losing baseball, I was like, I'm not risking that for anything. And so even though I wasn't a Christian and my life hadn't been transformed by the gospel, like for some reason, the Lord in his grace just protected me from all the underage drinking and the parties and the sexual promiscuity with girls. The Lord just really like protected me from that because as I look back, there was no reason I shouldn't have been engaging in those things. Um, as, a, as a freshman, um, I got the opportunity to play junior varsity baseball. I went to high, uh, Flower Mound High School. And then as a sophomore, I got to make the varsity team. And the reason I share that is because as I was this young kid playing with the older kids, I was surrounded by temptations that freshmen and sophomore weren't around because I was hanging out with the juniors and seniors. And so, like I said, the Lord just, in his sovereignty, in his grace, just really protected me. I vividly remember my friend taking me to a party and um, just getting offered just all the alcohol, even some drugs. And I'm just, I'm this little sophomore telling these senior guys and girls, no thanks. And like, never got pressured into it or anything. It was bizarre as I look back onto it. I can only chalk it up to the Lord's grace in my life. And so, I'm a sophomore in high school now. I have this friend, her name was Emily. I grew up with Emily since I was in elementary school. Um, so just kind of one of those like pals, never dated or anything like that. And Emily went to a church in Grapevine called Fellowship Church. If you've driven to DFW Airport, you've probably seen this massive building's fellowship. And her family went there. And so she started inviting me to go to fellowship. And so I said, well, I'm a Christian. That makes sense. I should probably go to church. <laughs> and so I start going uh, to the Wednesday night youth event. And then uh, her family starts inviting me on Sunday mornings. And so I'm doing this for an, an entire year. Like my, my entire sophomore fall and spring semester, I went to church with Emily, specifically on Wednesday nights. And the reason I went to church was because they had pizza and a lot of my friends were there. That was the only reason. Like, as I look back, I don't remember hearing any of the sermons, but I was a studious kid. Like, I know I wasn't jacking around. I just didn't hear. Why? Because I was spiritually deaf. Like, I was still dead in my sins and I hadn't been illuminated to the gospel to understand it. And so for an entire year, I went for the pizza, the friends, the girls, and hung out. And so at this point, I am thoroughly convinced that I'm like the best Christian ever. Like I don't get in trouble. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I, I play baseball like the all-American kid. And I'm just so convinced of my goodness. And then all of a sudden, my junior year, after a year of going to church, I'm, I'm sitting um, on the Wednesday night youth service, and I hear that pastor say, your good deeds won't get you to heaven. You need the righteousness of Christ. In fact, your good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord, and you need Jesus. That's the first thing I ever remember hearing in church. And as I look back, I actually don't remember the day, um, but I remember it was the fall of my junior year. And so 
that night I had rode to church with Emily and we left church and she could tell I was processing something um, or thinking through something. And so she said, hey, what's what's going on? And I very vividly remember looking at her and saying, who's lying? Either that pastor just lied to us or my parents have been lying to me because I always thought that my good deeds would get me to heaven, but that pastor just said that that's not true. And I don't remember if she shared the gospel with me. Um, We didn't necessarily pray to receive Christ in that moment, but that night, as I look back, that was the night the Lord saved me, and he opened my eyes to the gospel. And I remember, like, I believe within the next week, going to Lifeway and buying, like, my first Bible and, like, I was in, like the Lord totally grabbed hold of my life um, the fall of my junior year. And so now, as a, as a junior in high school, you very much already kind of established your habits um, and your friend groups and all of these things. And thankfully, I had habits of just being a good kid, so there wasn't too much to change. But um, I had to learn to navigate playing baseball But now as a Christian and what that looked like to be a Christian on the baseball field, to be a Christian athlete, that was something I had never been taught or knew how to do. And so my junior and senior year, um, I'm I'm like trying earnestly to figure out how to glorify the Lord in baseball. And so I I graduate um, or it's my senior year and that's when recruiting starts for college because my dream was always to play professional baseball. And so the recruiting process starts, and I'm getting calls from Texas Tech, from OU, from UT, like the big, big D1 schools, and I'm feeling good about myself. My head is bigger than this room. Like, I'm thinking I'm hot stuff. Like, I'm going to go D1. It's going to be awesome. And then those D1 schools that have been calling, they stopped calling. They never offered. And so I had this identity crisis. Because baseball had been my idol for so long, and all of a sudden, my idol of baseball was not giving me what I thought I was due. But now, I understood baseball as an idol because I know the Lord, whereas before, I had no idea who God was, and so baseball was all I had. So now, as I'm navigating these waters of this idol in my life being crushed, the Lord, in His grace, offers me two junior colleges to pick from. And I didn't realize at the time, but junior colleges were an awesome route for baseball players because it allowed you to enter into the draft more frequently than if I went D1. So I'm like, that's great. This is actually a highway to the pro, to pro ball instead of going D1 and taking a little bit longer. So I get recruited by a school called Howard College. It's out in Big Spring, Texas. It's near Midland. And there's nothing in that town besides baseball, which is awesome. And so I, as I'm going out there, the Lord begins to work on my heart, like um, it put this kind of call to ministry on my life. And I had no idea what to do with that. I, I kind of took it as, okay, I'll be, I'll be Josh Hamilton. I'll, I'll use my platform to share the gospel, to, to lead kids to Christ. Like that's what I'm going to do. And so, man, I still worked incredibly hard at baseball. I was still on track to play professional ball. And I played two years at junior college, having a fantastic, 
have a fantastic two years. I hit over 400 one of my seasons, actually both of my seasons. I hit 430 something my freshman year of college ball with it. If you're a baseball fan, that's, uh, I still, I'm, I'm kind of bragging to be honest, like that was awesome. Um, and so it was a great two years, but at the end of each season, I still didn't get drafted. And my mind was blown. Like I just hit 430 my freshman year and I didn't even get a call, like not even a free agent contract. And so still the Lord is working out this idol of baseball in my heart. And he's just not letting it happen. And I, I didn't understand it at the time. I was frustrated. I couldn't understand. My teammates who hit like 320 were getting drafted. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like, what's happening? And so finish my freshman year, and I go play summer baseball, and um, they kind of they ship you off all over the country. And I got sent to Florida and lived with a host family. And then I'm going into my sophomore year, and I have to either land a D1 college to continue my baseball career or get drafted. And so there's a lot riding on the line this sophomore year, and um, I still kind of have this ethereal feeling of I feel called to ministry. But again, I'm still like, I'll be Josh Hamilton. Like, that sounds way cooler than being a pastor. And so um, I enter into my sophomore season, and within the first month, Dallas Baptist University, DBU, just right up the road, gives me a call. And they say, hey, we, we're really interested in you. We want to fly you from Midland to DFW and give you a tour. And so I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, DBU is a D1 baseball program. They have a ministry degree. I'm like, that sounds like the best of both worlds because I kind of feel called to ministry. I could get a ministry degree, but I can still play Division One baseball. And so I, they, they offer me, I sign up, I'm all in, and I come to DBU after my sophomore year. And that was when my uh, relationship with my parents kind of hit some trouble. Um, baseball had not only become my idol, but it had become my family's idol. And so when they saw me take my offer to DBU, they saw it as me losing heart for baseball and starting to prepare and prep for a career in ministry. And so it led to some friction um, in my home and between me and my mom because they just didn't understand. They didn't understand why I would want to start pursuing ministry over a lucrative career of baseball. And so um, at the moment, I was like, no, 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 I, I promise, like, I am still for baseball, but I had no idea what the Lord was doing at this point. I played my fall season at DBU, and I was one of the top five hitters, so I'm set up nicely to enter into the spring season. Hopefully, I should be earning um, a left field starting spot. And I, in the winter break, I was spending just some time with the Lord, and over and over again, I kept seeing the Apostle Paul's desire for the bride of Christ. I just, over and over, I kept seeing the way he prays for the church. And it was like, it was just jumping out at the pages of me. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I don't know what to do with this. And then finally, I got to Colossians 1.28. And I read this, and it said, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present them mature in Christ. And it was like I got mugged. Like the Lord just hit me over the head And he said, you are to serve my church. And so 
I, like literally my hands just went up at this point. I had had this feeling of this call to ministry. I had had this desire um, to use baseball as my platform. But through that verse, the Lord very specifically said, it's not baseball. It's my church. And so I started, I brought that to my pastors at the time and I just told them and they said, well, Chase, like we would affirm you and your giftings. Um, we think you would be a great pastor, but you're not quitting baseball because it was mid-season. It was winter break right before the spring season was about to start. And so I said, okay, um, that's totally fine. Um, I'll play my spring semester. And opening day comes around. You know, you're anxious to look at the lineup to see if all the work you put in fall ball pays off. And there I am, hitting five hole, playing left field. I made it. That's awesome. I go, I play my first game. I go one for three with the first RBI of the season, which if you're a baseball fan, you know, that's an awesome day. And so I'm stoked. And we had a double header that weekend or that Saturday. And so I'm in the starting lineup on Saturday morning and I'm not in the lineup Saturday afternoon. That's okay. Um, There's other super talented guys on my team. I'm thinking they're just seeing what everyone can do but I'm feeling good. I went one for three with an RBI. I got the starting job the very first day, the very first game. Turns out after opening day, I didn't see the field for about another month. No idea why. Um, I had a great relationship with my coaches. I made it a point to be the hardest working, the most encouraging, and the best teammate that I could be, and I just stopped seeing the field. After some time had passed, I talked to my coaches. I was like, hey, guys, like, did, it, did I do something? Like, how come I'm not getting another chance? And um, they, didn't, they gave me kind of one of those political answers. And so I just put my head down, and I kept working. By the end of the season, I only got 20 at-bats, um, and I still hit over 300 with those 20 at-bats. But it, it was very peculiar why that would have happened except now that as I look back, I saw the Lord just kind of shutting the door on my baseball career. So I get to the end of this honestly frustrating season. Um, I felt like I was owed uh, more at-bats, but I didn't get them. So I go to those pastors and I say, season's over, like I'm ready for ministry, hire me, basically. And I will forever be grateful for the advice I got. They said, Chase, you, you need to go play your summer season. You need to go back to Florida. You need to play summer baseball, and then we will decide. I said, why? And he said, because we don't want you to make this decision out of frustration or out of bitterness towards DBU. So I said, okay. So I go to Florida, and I have hands down the best season of my life. I led the league in hitting, and I led my team in home runs. It was the best season. Like if I were to write down my ideal season, this summer would have been it. And I still got to the end of that summer and very fe- felt very convicted that I was done with baseball. And so the last game I played was actually at Tropicana Field, which is where the Tampa Bay Rays play, because we went to the championship game um, in the Florida Summer League. And so um, I got home from Florida, went to my coach at DBU, um, and told him, Coach, like, I can't take my scholarship this next year. I, I, I feel called to ministry, and I honestly can't shake it. And I, I'm thoroughly convinced that this is the direction that the Lord has for me. And so 
thankfully, my coach was an incredible man of God, and he was um, encouraging, but he also pushed back to make sure I was making the right decision, and um, so handed back over my scholarship. Things with my parents obviously got very turbulent because the thing that they saw coming, ministry coming, becoming a priority over baseball, happened. And so things just got very turbulent um, in my house. And so this uh, fall of my senior year of college, um, I'm just kind of just picking up a, a job in fitness and kind of pursuing a job in ministry. And two months after I quit baseball, uh, the church I worked at offered me an internship. And so that was the start of my ministry uh, career was that internship at this church. And I did this internship uh, for about nine months before I got the call from Cottonwood. And so this was the fall, winter of 2013, and got a call from Randy Beggs, if you guys remember him. And um, he offered me an associate position. And so uh, Kendall, my girlfriend, or my fiance at the time, we began to pray and consider because we were scheduled to get married January 3rd of 2014. So it was like less than a month away. And so um, we began to pray and consider. And then all of a sudden, Randy uh, calls back and he says, hey, I'm actually going to offer your buddy Caleb Beats the head youth pastor position. I'm going to transition out of youth ministry and I want you and Caleb to come and, and do youth ministry at Cottonwood. And so in my head, I'm like, wow, that's great. Like I get to go to a new church with a, someone that I already know. Um, if you don't know, Caleb's our spiritual formation. He had been serving as our youth pastor um, here at Cottonwood for the past three and a half years. Um, and so Caleb and I, who we've known each other for five years at this point, we got to come to Cottonwood together. Um, and so I came as an associate and he was the student pastor my wife, Kendall, and I got married right before D-Now of January 2014. And so, yeah, we hadn't started at Cottonwood yet. So, yeah, we got back from our honeymoon and then had D-Now. It's like, welcome to youth ministry. And so now um, my wife and I, we've been married four years in January. And then throughout being an associate and then just specifically focusing on high school, now I have the opportunity to be the student pastor to oversee 6th through 12th grade. Um, and it's uh, uh, the cool thing as I, as I reflect on my testimony, um, the Lord has really done a lot of work in my family's life. Um, throughout this process, the Lord has very clearly um, worked in my dad's heart to where he does regularly go to church now and is involved in a home group and things like that. And so I see very tangible fruit of his profession. Um, him and my mom have always professed Christ, but I've never seen fruit. Um, so I've never, uh, I mean, I'm not to judge, but it had seemed like they had not been Christians. But now I can confidently say, like, my dad is bearing fruit, which is super encouraging. My mom, she is still, I don't see fruit being born in her life, but I do see a lot of manifestations of godliness in her. Um, so I don't know where she stands with the Lord. She says, she tells me she's a Christian, um, but so she's someone that I very frequently pray for. Um, and our relationship now is phenomenal. Um, the Lord has brought a lot of healing uh, to the 
to the turbulent times that we kind of went through, and the Lord worked out the idol of baseball, um, not only in my heart, but in my family's heart as well. Um, and so we're in a very cool place as a family, um, and they love that I'm a pastor. They listen to me teach as often as they can, and um, so very encouraging time. My wife, Kendall, and I, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old son. His name is Bo Durham. Um, his, his real name is Robert, uh, but we call him Bo, just B-O, thinking like Bo Jackson, hoping to get a two-sport athlete out of this kid. Her family her family came from a line of baseball players. Her dad played triple-A ball for the Yankees. I know we got a Yankee fan in here. Sorry for that table. has to sit next to him. But So he played triple-A baseball. Her brothers played baseball. Um, like I said, my dad played baseball, so... We are hopeful this kid doesn't play an instrument because we have no idea what to do with music. <laughs> um, so that is very much my story. Um, I, I hope that you didn't find that boring or just monotonous, but I really want that to encourage you guys just um, even as you look back over your own lives and seeing what the Lord, what idols the Lord has worked out and seeing kind of God's fingerprints over your life to protect you from certain sins that to be honest, would make sense for you to walk into. Um, and I pray that as you look at your, your life story, um, that it would lead to worship, um, that you would see that even before you knew God, his fingerprints just were all over your life, um, just like they were all over mine. So that is my uh, testimony and story. And I realize this is a Bible study. And so I do want to just kind of give you guys a word of encouragement um, so, you, if you have heard John Mark teach at all, we are currently going through a sermon series called Life on Mission. And there, there's been a beautiful thing happening. Um, if you haven't taken note of our, our budget situation and the Creek Guide, we're behind budget. And because we are so far behind budget, it has caused us as a senior staff to look at everything we do and to evaluate everything we do and really refocus and get back on track on our mission as a church. Um, and so in God's grace, this budget crisis has led to us like rethinking, re, um, essentially just praying about all the things that we do because we want to make sure that we are using God's resources to the best of our ability. We want to make sure that we are going in the right direction. And John Mark uh, talks about this organizational drift, and I don't know if he's shared it with you guys, but an organization will start out on mission. And so their heart is for the lost, they're going to the community, all these things. The drift from mission is to ministry. We've reached all these people, we've seen them saved, but now let's do the Bible studies, let's do the discipleship trainings, let's, let's get them in this building and we need to train and we need to equip, which is good. But then it goes from ministry to maintenance. So we have all these programs. We've got this Bible study. We've got that Bible study. We've got this Bible study. Like across the board, we have Bible studies. And so all of a sudden, we're having to maintain all of these Bible studies, and we're getting farther away from the mission of the church. We're getting farther away from the mission of Jesus. And so now we're in this maintenance mode. We've got all these Bible studies. We've got all these events we're having to take care of. We're having to uh, be at all of these things. And then very slowly, the next drift is to monument. So this is kind of that sacred cow idea, if you all have heard that in churches. Um, monument. It's one of those things that, well, why do you do that? Uh, 
we've always done it, that's the answer for something that has become a monument. And so looking at these four categories, John Mark has redirected all of our eyes back on mission. And, and the reason he's done that, he's like, guys, look at Luke 18. Look at Jesus when he comes to, uh, or he sees Zacchaeus, and he says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Like Jesus was a man who was going into the communities. He was not just locked in the synagogue. This, Jesus was like having dinner with tax collectors. He was having dinner with the sinners. Like he was in people's homes. He was walking through the towns. He was walking through the cities. He was healing people. He was amongst the community. And so, even with the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And so, with that revision and redirection, we have all started to re-strategize and pray about where the Lord wants us to go. What are ways that we can get into the community? And so this is very much the direction um, that we're going church-wide, um, even from children's all the way up to the main stage on Sunday mornings. And so I want to encourage you guys, if, if you don't have students in the student ministry and, and don't really know what's happening in that gym besides the loud noise that you hear coming, on, uh, coming out of it on a Sunday morning, the Lord is doing incredible things amongst our youth. Like, and I'm talking 6th through 12th grade. This summer in particular, the Lord changed so many of our students' hearts in a way that I had never seen before. Kids that have known the Lord all of a sudden had these deep convictions just to run as fast as they can toward the Lord, and that fuel hasn't gone out. Like, it wasn't the post-camp high that you've heard of, but rather it has been sustained. Like, even to date, these kids are still running after the Lord. We saw a lot of kids get saved this summer at camp and through theology classes and all of these things that we do. And the Lord's doing a very special um, and lasting work in the youth ministry. And so with that being said, and this, this refocus of our church being on mission, we are commissioning now these kids to go. We're, we're telling them, like, don't just be coming here on Sundays. Don't just be going to home groups on Wednesdays. But, like, you guys need to go back into your schools. Like, you've been placed at Lovejoy. You've been placed at Allen. You've been placed at MCA by God himself, not just because your dad bought a house in that school district, but you've been placed there by God yourself to be a light in a dark place. I heard this the other day, that Christians are like manure. Have y'all heard that before? So it was brilliant. So he, this pastor, he goes, Christians are like manure. When they're gathered up, when they're piled up, they stink. But when manure is spread out across a field, it does a lot of good. It, it, it helps grow. It helps cultivate. It helps nourish the earth. And so I was like, man, that, that makes total sense. Christians are like manure. Think about God's design for humanity. God created all the heavens and the earth. He created mankind. He said, let, or he made us in his image. And what was the command that he gave to Adam and Eve, or to, to mankind? Be fruitful and multiply. And now, 
Although I think uh, having babies was a part of that, the main part of being fruitful and multiplying is to be the image bearer that God designed us to be and to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim and to spread the glory of God. And so what we see in scripture is we were designed to go, we were designed to spread the glory of God, we were designed to image and to reflect God himself. To be an image bearer is this idea of being a living statue. So when you see a statue, it's placed somewhere as a representation of um, someone important or maybe someone that has conquered that land. And so in the same way, all of us who are made in the image of God have been placed in different spots, different towns, different cities, different homes, all for the same purpose to glorify the Lord. So that was God's original design for all of humanity. But then sin tarnished that image. It confused, it distorted. And then what happened in Genesis 11? All the Christians, or actually, excuse me, all the people gathered in one place. And they said, let us just build a tower so that we can reach the heavens. Tower of Babel. What does God do to the Tower of Babel? He confuses the languages. He strikes them down so that they would disperse across the earth. Why? Because God's design for humanity was to disperse, was to go, was to be fruitful and multiply. God's design for humanity was not for all the Christians or all of his children to huddle up in one place and be like stinky manure. His design was for us to go. His design was for us to spread. And so, we see this uh, as, as the biblical story progresses. We all of a sudden have this man named Abraham that comes along. And God makes a very important promise to the man of Abraham. He says, he makes in Genesis 12, he says, Abraham, um, come out of your land and follow me. I will lead you to a land. I will give you offspring as numerous as the stars, and you will be a blessing to the world. So all of a sudden, God is revisioning, redirecting these his children because his children just kept piling up and becoming like a stinky pile of manure. But so then through this covenant, Abraham is being reminded that the people of God are supposed to be numerous. They're supposed to be a blessing to the world. They're not supposed to make the world reek and stink. They are supposed to be a blessing. And so then we have this Abrahamic covenant, and then all of a sudden the people of Israel are formed. And so the people of Israel are God's chosen people designed for what? To be a blessing to the world. So when all of these other nations and cities look at Israel, they see Yahweh. They see the holy God of the universe. They see these image bearers who are bearing the glory of the one and true God in the midst of a very dark time, in the midst of pluralistic pagan worship. Israel was supposed to be a light in a dark place bearing the glory of God. 
But then what do we see? We almost see another repeat of Babel. The people of God, the Israelites, they were unfaithful. And so God sent them into exile. And so then in exile, they're sent into, um, where do they go first? Assyria. And then they get taken captive by Babylon. And then they get taken captive by Persia. Those things were not accidents. But rather, it was the people of God being dispersed throughout the world. Why? To bear the image of the creator. To bear the image of God. Then we get to the New Testament. By the time of the New Testament comes, the Jewish people, the Israelites, had been dispersed all over the regions. And um, the Roman Empire was in charge. The predominant language being spoken was Greek. And so because of this common language amongst all of these regions, because Jewish people, like God's chosen people, were spread, they weren't just huddled up in Jerusalem, but they were manure that had been spread throughout all the lands, that is when the time that Jesus enters in the world and he dies on the cross and raises again. Why is it important that the Jewish people, that the the chosen people of God, the ones that knew this Messiah was supposed to come, Why is it important that they were scattered in all these regions? Well, because now there are gospel light posts in all of these regions across the countries. And so Jesus came came to earth, took on flesh, died on the cross, rose again. And so as the message of his death and resurrection spread, it spread faster because the people of God were not huddled up in Jerusalem. They were not huddled up like a stinky pile of manure in a synagogue. They were scattered in all of the cities. They were scattered throughout all of the regions, and the gospel flourished. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. It's the apostle, or at this point, it's Saul. Um, the man who becomes the Apostle Paul. In Acts 8, um, he is giving permission and getting permission to persecute the church. And so as he is persecuting, um, as he is persecuting those who follow Jesus or who belong to the way, those people who belong to the way are running. They're like, they're not walking to Saul and saying, hey, Saul, I'm a Christian, just kill me. No, no, no. When they hear that Saul has papers and, they're, and Saul's coming to town to kill and to crucify Christ's followers, these Christ followers, these followers of the way, they're running, they're scattering, they're going where Saul is not. And so again, We see the Lord in his sovereignty using this persecution of evil men for the betterment of his church. Our design as humans is not to gather and not to huddle up and stay there and be a stinky pile of manure. Our design is to spread. We are supposed to go The cultural mandate in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply has not changed. Rather, 
when Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, when he said, go therefore and make disciples, he, he essentially is putting the great, or he is putting the cultural mandate back before the children of God. He's not giving a new command, but rather he's reminding them of their original design. They are designed to go. They are designed to, to spread the glory of God. And so, with all of that said, I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you, do not be the stinky pile of manure. Like, go. As I, as I look across this room, there are families represented. And some of you have family members that don't know the Lord. There are businesses that you work at. And I'll tell you guys, just like I tell my students, it is no mistake that you are in the job that you are in. Like the job you're in right now, it might be a transitory role. Like you might have lost a job and you just needed the first thing that came and you honestly don't really like it or you don't really enjoy it and you're looking for the next thing. But pause. It is by the grace of God that you are in the position that you are in. Why? You are placed there to be an image bearer. You are placed there to be a living statue of the creator God. You are placed there to bear the glory of God. So don't be discouraged in the season of life that you may find yourselves in. Use where God has placed you with your families, with your businesses, with your friends, with your neighbors. Our neighbors are so, we, we see them all the time. Do not be the Christians that just pile up in this room on Tuesday mornings. And this is the, the only Bible that you talk. But rather, be the Christians that spread. Be the Christians that go. Be the Christians that are on mission. Be how we were designed to be before sin kind of ruined everything. Let me pray for you guys. Um, it's 6.50. Um, yeah, let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for the gospel, and we thank you for redeeming us and making us new and giving us new lives so that we can bear your image. Lord, I thank you for all these men that came. I pray that we would leave this room, that we would scatter, that we would be dispersed so that we can bear your image, so that we can bear your glory wherever it is that we go. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name, by the spirit we pray, amen.